the sunny 4th of July long weekend in the rear view, it's time to turn our attention to the dark days of summer. Coming up on this episode of The Eagle, we'll go over the week's top headlines. I heard somebody walk into my office. I turned around and Hillary Swank is standing there and I just kind of stunned went, hey, and she said, hey. We'll look back at the powerful journalism of one of our departing colleagues. You know, I wasn't walking into a beat like education or health that had already been paved out for me. I was building it from the ground up and I was building relationships with these communities from scratch. And we'll hear from Shen Grad and NBA shooting guard Kevin Herter. Do you remember the games? Do you remember the crowds? Uh, for us, we were fortunate. We remember some of the championships, but you know, the guys are who you still keep up with and see every day. And those are the memories that continue to live on. This is The Eagle, a Times Union podcast, a look inside our newsroom. I'm Jessica Marshall. If you're enjoying this podcast, take advantage of all the Times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring in you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union member today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. Welcome to The Eagle. I'm Jessica Marshall. First up, let's discuss what appeared in the Times Union and on timesunion.com this week. All right, back again are we with Times Union Editor-in-Chief Casey Seiler here to go over the top headlines of the week. We will start with the fact that the Roman Catholic Diocese of Albany settled its first major lawsuit that came about from the Child Victims Act. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, this was a $750,000 payout to a 47-year-old Saratoga County man who was allegedly, who were alleged in his um, uh, Child Victims Act suit that he had been abused by a former priest. This was a priest who had been in what was unfortunately the, the habit of the diocese back in the day. We're talking here about the 80s and 90s shuffled this priest from, you know, church assignment to the Glens Falls Hospital, which was his his last one, including he had been uh, based at uh, schools as well. And uh, abuse claims followed him sort of like a like a tin can. But not, unlike a tin can, the diocese never shared with his successive postings the reasons why he had been shunted from his previous postings. This, of course, was um, the kind of thing that former Bishop Howard Hubbard admitted to in a deposition that was released uh, and reported on by Brendan Lyons of the Times Union earlier this year. So this, this suit was really the first major one that the diocese had settled. And what's also interesting is that, according to the plaintiffs, the diocese used the threat of declaring bankruptcy in making its its case in pressing the settlement upon the alleged victim. Of course, just last week, Brendan reported that the, the diocese uh, had come right out and said, hey, look, we can either do this through long drawn out litigation or we can declare bankruptcy, which would slow down 
the process of resolving these claims and also likely reduce the uh, amount of money that the victims are likely to get. Or the diocese has put on the table a court-supervised process of mediation to resolve these uh, more than 400 cases that have been brought against the Albany Diocese. Of course, four other dioceses around New York State have declared bankruptcy, largely as a direct result of the claims made against uh, those individual dioceses under, you know, because of the Child Victims Act. So it's yet another sign that these cases, as they tick towards trial, this particular payout, the $750,000 payout, would have gone to trial at the end of July that this entire matter is heading towards uh, a, at least a provisional resolution, whether or not it is mediation or bankruptcy, but obviously a matter of great concern to the victims and to the Albany faith community as well. Of course, we talked about some of Brendan's reporting on this on the podcast last week as well. I highly encourage everyone to go back and listen to that episode as well as stick to timesunion.com for more on this. Uh, let's change gears a bit and move on to uh, a column that Chris Churchill wrote this week about some stranded hikers that got a lot of attention. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, Chris um, wrote a couple of weeks ago about a situation uh, outside the town of Hunter in Greene County where uh, visitors who are parking by the Huckleberry Point trailhead are apparently missing what sound uh, to be some fairly well-concealed no parking signs, are going for what I'm sure is a very nice hike and then returning to find their cars gone, towed away by the municipality, and they have no idea where they are. And in some cases, they say they haven't been able to get cell service. You know, you've had pregnant women who have found themselves sort of in the middle of nowhere. Uh, essentially, the, the town says, well, we're doing this to promote public safety because we've got to keep the road clear of illegally parked cars. But this is something of a public safety concern as well. Chris wrote about this uh, in a column, as noted, a couple of weeks ago. And then subsequent to that, he got a call from a stranded hiker saying, hey, we read your column. Uh, We're standing here, you know, right by the trailhead in the middle of nowhere. And you didn't include information about where our car had been towed to. So Chris did a follow up that included that information and, you know, just reiterated that this this is probably not the way that the town of Hunter ought to be doing it. Um, Local leaders have remained pretty mum on this, and they, of course, claim that there's nothing wrong here, but it really seems like a fix is in order. Yes, that definitely touched on one of my personal fears, and that's actually a segue into another one of my personal fears, which is ticks, uh, which is the subject of another story that was written this week about ticks and then kind of a deadly virus. So can you tell us what happened there? Yes, you can get your car towed or you could end up with a a tick hitchhiking on you. Yeah, a Columbia County resident may have contracted Powassan virus that is a rare and potentially dangerous disease, one of many that that ticks can carry. The uh, county's health department has put out a warning. We should note that as we speak, uh, they're still waiting for confirmation that it's uh, Powassan. It can cause 
everything from, you know, mild flu-like symptoms up to, uh, you know, uh, encephalitis, which of course is the swelling of the brain. Um, it is, it is still very rare in New York and this should not stop you from going out and taking a hike in this beautiful month of July, but at the same time, dress appropriately and for goodness sake, check yourself and, um, any pets that you bring along to make sure you are not bringing any creepy crawlies home with you. And your children as well. Tick checks, very important. Yes, good point. Yes, pets and children. Yes, definitely. <laughs> All right, one last topic for today. This is a fun one, um, and you have a unique uh, perspective on it because you were there when it happened. But the Times Union newsroom was taken over by Hollywood. Tell us more. Yeah, um, Hillary Swank has been in town in Albany for the past month filming a noirish thriller to be called Mother's Milk, uh, in which he plays a Times Union reporter, directed by a young writer-director with local ties. And uh, they uh, have been in negotiations for a couple of weeks now, to, which I have let our business office handle, to come to the Times Union and, uh, and film there. Because, of course, if you've got a Times Union reporter as your protagonist, it seems silly to be filming in Albany and not use the actual Times Union. So, uh, Jess, as you know, I put out an email telling people to please stay away from the office on Thursday, which luckily over the course of the last two and a half years or so has proven to be not that difficult to do. I was there just in case they had any questions or needed anything or to make sure that they didn't trash the place, which they did not do. But boy, a ton of equipment and a ton of people. I would say it was probably including cast and background players. It, it had to be about 50 people. Hillary Swank was there. Now, Jess, you know what my life is like. I go from meeting to meeting. And so for several hours in the afternoon, I was just in my office on Zoom calls and I could see, you know, a uh, former Times Union reporter and uh, Pulitzer Prize winning novelist Bill Kennedy, who is a friend of the family of the writer director, come in to do a cameo. And then I saw Hillary Swank right outside my office, like meeting Bill Kennedy and, and his son. And, and it was great. And I'm doing all these Zoom calls that I can't get off of. So I was on one meeting with a group of other editors. And I heard somebody walk into my office. I turned around and Hillary Swank is standing there. And I just kind of stunned went, hey. And she said, hey, in a slightly more grave voice. <laughs> and then closed the door and walked out again. That was my only encounter with Hillary Swank the entire day. By the time I got done with all my meetings, she was either filming something else or on a break. So I just never got a chance to meet her. She seemed very nice in the three seconds that we were face to face. I can't wait to see the movie and see how the Times Union is portrayed. And, uh, and of course, the rest of the city of Albany, for that matter. That's a great story. I think I was on one of those Zoom calls with you at one point. We may have been recording, but it uh, sounds like a really unique and fun day in the newsroom. And I, too, look forward to seeing the movie. It really was. The amount of detail and the amount of work that goes into sort of a marathon day of filming. I mean, they showed up before noon and they were here until uh, past midnight. Wow. Well, we would look forward to uh, the on-screen time that, that my desk is going to get, too. So, all right, Casey, thank you so much. We'll check back in with you next week. Thanks, Jess. Thanks, Jess. 
As always, you can learn more about all of the topics and the issues that we discuss on this podcast at timesunion.com. When Times Union reporter Masara Makati first arrived in the newsroom as a Hearst Fellow in 2017, she had a firm goal to tell the stories of immigrants, refugees, and underserved communities of color in the capital region. Since then, she's led the newsroom by example, telling some of the paper's most powerful stories in recent years. She's also been a frequent guest on this podcast. She is moving on from our newsroom this week, but I caught up with her one last time. All right, so start out by telling me how long have you been at the Times Union? That's a story. Um, I started (laughs) off with the Times Union actually as a Hearst Fellow in 2017, and Mm -hmm. I was with them for a year. And then I went to Houston for the second year of my fellowship. We were required to rotate, so I was with the Houston Chronicle. But my heart definitely stayed in Albany and with the Times Union and with the communities here. And I wanted to find my way back. And eventually I was able to, and I rejoined the newsroom in February 2020, right before the world exploded. Um, So I have been back here now for, I'd say, about two and a half years, but I total of three and a half years with the Times Union. So when you first started, when you were a Hearst Fellow, what was like your concentration? What was your beat? Rex Smith, the editor-in-chief at the time, and Casey Seiler, who is now our new editor-in-chief, they created a new beat for me called New Americans. So the focus of the beat was to cover um, immigrants and refugees in the capital region. However, I also noticed that there was definitely a gap in the newspaper's coverage of communities of color. So I just decided to branch it out and do this catch-all beat of covering immigrants, refugees, immigration policy, and communities of color as well. So I was actually the first reporter that the paper ever had that was dedicated to covering these communities. I also did cover um, the suburbs of Colony and Niskayuna at the same time, but my passion beat was definitely the New Americans one. What were some of the most impactful stories that you told, some of the stories that will kind of stick with you that that were your favorites, so to speak? The one that obviously can't go without mentioning is A City Divided, which was a five-part series that Eduardo Medina and I did on segregation in the city of Albany. And it's actually a story that I had the idea for it when I was a fellow because the segregation in Albany was the first thing that stuck out to me when I moved here. And I spent my year as a fellow just familiarizing myself with the city and the communities and talking to community members about their experiences with segregation. And when I got to come back to the Times Union, I knew that it was something that I really wanted to move forward and pursue Um, was finally, you know, seeing through and completing. And it felt very rewarding to, you know, after a year of concept and, you know, six months or so of executing this project to finally see it come to fruition. But the most rewarding part, of course, was the community's response to that project. I remember that there was a meeting that I was sitting in on where people were discussing the project and one woman said that that the articles said everything that the communities have been saying for so long, but they couldn't be heard because they were drowning. Their voices weren't heard because they were drowning. And 
that just validated for me everything that I was trying to do with that project and really everything that I've tried to do during my time at the Times Union and covering this work is making sure to spotlight our communities and their experiences and not just the traumatic experiences and the discrimination and the oppression that they experience, but also the wonderful parts of who they are and their cultures and the successes and the daily joys that they get to experience. That was a magnificent series of City Divided. And I want to remind our listeners that you and Eduardo participated in several podcast episodes uh, talking about that project. So I highly encourage everyone to go back and listen to those as well as heading over to timesunion.com to to read all of the, the things that you wrote uh, as part of the project. Now, you've been a leader in the newsroom, um, not just because it's your beat, but you have been a leader in trying to get us all to open our eyes up. What can you say about what you've done kind of within the Times Union itself to further those initiatives? Yeah, I mean, I think that just the fact that I was a reporter focusing on covering these communities was really the first step. You know, I wasn't walking into a beat like education or health that had already been paved out for me. I was building it from the ground up and I was building relationships with these communities from scratch that the paper really hadn't built relationships with before. So, you know, I started with a list of zero sources to a list of now 200, almost 200 sources that the newspaper that the newsroom uses, um, you know, for their current engagement efforts and reporting efforts within those communities. So I think, you know, on a base level, that was a huge part of it was definitely just building these relationships in the first place and building that trust. Um, And when we're talking about, you know, more of the intense initiatives that were taking place in the newsroom. I mean, for example, we created a 10-member community voices panel. Um, It's made up of 10 community members, and we meet on a monthly basis to discuss everything about what's going on in the communities, but also, you know, the critiques and the feedback that those community members have of how the newspaper has been doing. Um, That was probably one of the biggest accomplishments that I think I was able to lead in the newsroom or help form in the newsroom. Obviously, of course, organizing some trainings for the newsroom about, you know, how to cover communities of color better or, um, you know, how to branch out and think about different ways to do things. And then also pushing for daily initiatives in the newsroom to make sure that we're following ethical guidelines um, and being fair when we're covering communities of color. You know, there were conversations that we had in the aftermath of the, um, you know, unrest that took place after George Floyd was murdered. And we had conversations in the newsroom about whether we would use the word riot to describe what was happening in the city of Albany and in other areas. And, you know, I definitely push that that's not appropriate to use that word because it's has a really heavy history um, and can be very racially derogative. So, you know, even on small things like that, just pushing to make sure that the language that we use, the practices that we follow um, are practices that try to minimize harm to the communities that we're covering. Um, So it's kind of all over the map, the work that I tried to do in the newsroom. Um, But, you know, my work is just about serving the community more than anything else. And that's just always been my guiding light. We wish Masara the best of luck as she moves on to her next endeavors, which she will be sharing publicly soon. 
After the break, we'll talk to NBA shooting guard Kevin Herter. If you're enjoying this podcast, take advantage of all the Times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring in you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union member today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. Welcome back. You're listening to The Eagle, a Times Union podcast. I'm Jessica Marshall. This week, the Times Union honored more than 40 local athletes at its annual high school sports awards show. This year, the show's special guest was Shen Grad and current NBA shooting guard Kevin Herter. Herter was traded to the Sacramento Kings from the Atlanta Hawks last week, but he took some time to jump into the show virtually to share his wisdom with the honored athletes during a brief chat with sports reporter James Allen. Here's some of their conversation. It's hard to believe six years ago, I was uh, at U- Binghamton University, uh, University of Binghamton, whatever you want to say, and uh, you guys were playing in the state final in baseball. Is it hard to believe it's been that long? It is, honestly. It's something that I go back and I see old pictures and I feel like I don't look too much younger from those days and something that feels like it was just yesterday. Obviously, a memory I'll never forget. Uh, just being able to finish that that high school year out with playing with all my friends and um, coming out of the state championship was a cherry on top. You know, you were fortunate enough not only to win a state championship in basketball, but in baseball as well. And you had two great coaches, uh, Tony DeSicus and, and Greg Christodoulou. How much do you feel like the, those uh, guys impacted your life uh, as a youngster? They did. You know, they, they taught me how to work hard from a young age. That's you know, something I always will appreciate Coach Dion, uh, was just how he pushed us back in high school. And there's really nothing ever like your high school experience. I think it's truly different from any experience you'll, you'll have again in your life, just the bonds that you have with all your teammates and the bonds you've had with your coaches. You've all known each other for so long. And so those are people you're never going to forget. And obviously what, what Mr. Coleman did for me while I was at school and um, just the way he handled and promoted our basketball team. And um, He's always been great. Let's me come back and, and use Shen whenever I need it. And um, is always trying to find ways to get me involved. So two people, obviously, I'll never forget. You know, in looking at your situation, you were fortunate. You were able to go through your high school experience without having any interruptions. Unfortunately for your sisters, because of COVID, they had to deal with things. And a lot of the Section 2 athletes now have had to deal with it. Can you even imagine it that you had your your recruiting process interrupted and, and all the things that they've had to deal with? I can't. It's honestly, it's tough to say, too. It's one of those things that I feel bad for everybody who had to go through that, that truly missed out on about a year and a half with their high school experience. And um could be some memories that, that they don't know they could have that they missed out on. But um, it was a tough time, obviously, for everybody. And you know, hopefully people within the last year or so got to have his normal senior season um, and final season as it could moving up, obviously moving forward, putting COVID behind us. When you look back at everything and, and uh, your experience, what, what did you feel like was most valuable in your time there? Not beyond just the championships. And it sounds like the relationships, right? Yeah, it is. For me, it's the relationships. It's all my high school friends, all my teammates, you know, my travel leagues when I was growing up. Those are the people that you grow up and you play with by the time you get to varsity. Those are your lifelong friends. And, you know, I, now I have a different relationship with all my coaches and Mr. Coleman. It's it's less a player to coach and more it's a friend relationship. You know, those are the bonds and those relationships I'm never going to forget, both on the basketball side and on the baseball side, just having friends from both sides. You, know, you remember everything else. You remember the games. You remember the crowds. Uh, for us, we were fortunate. We remember some of the championships, but 
know, the guys are who you still keep up with and see every day. Those are the memories that continue to live on. When you think about your time and, and then reflect on it and then try to play it forward for the younger kids that are watching this, what would you say? What would you say about Section 2 Athletics and, and how much it, it was a molding and, and building process for you? It does. It prepares you really across all sports and all schools. It's a competitive league. It's a league that you got to come prepared for every year. Um, so it just, I think it prepares you for life beyond just your sport. Uh, you get into the workforce and just the way you have to work hard. And if you don't, there's people around you that are looking to take your spot at all times. And um, just as human, it, it keeps you off balance. And I think that was something that we learned at a young age is being competitive, playing a sport. And uh, I hope everybody here obviously has those similar memories and can, can carry with them the same things that I've been able to. Well, four years ago, we were at Edison Club a couple days ago, and you got drafted by the Atlanta Hawks and talk about taking a spot. Nobody's taking your spot. You got to sign a second contract, and now you're, you're a vested vet, NBA veteran. How, how grateful that you got that process out of the way and didn't have to go to free agency this summer. Yeah, I'm extremely grateful. You know, I, I think in a lot of ways it cleared me, cleared my head mentally. Um, you know, obviously those those first three or four years, all you're doing is you're building for and you're trying to get to that second contract, establish yourself and, and stay in the NBA. It's it's tough, to obviously, to get here. It's even tougher to stick around and stay. And so, you know, for me to just be able to get that over with, um, get some stability, uh, you know, for the rest of my career, really for the next four years at least. And a couple of years I was able to relax. I feel like I was able to play more like myself. So. Uh, something that I obviously don't regret is, is getting that over with before this summer. And you get to get uh, to your basketball camps coming up. I'm sure you're excited about that. Yeah, we are. We are. Obviously, our first year doing it. Haven't been able to do it the last couple of years because of COVID. Uh, hopefully, obviously, just a way to get back to kids and, and teach the next generation of guys coming up. So uh, we're really excited about it, ready to get them going. And it uh, should be great. Well, Kevin, I really appreciate the time. And I'm sure everybody from Section 2 does as well. Continued success. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. All right, that's it for this week. I'm Jessica Marshall. We'll be back next week with another look inside the newsroom here at the Times Union. In the meantime, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, or head on over to timesunion.com for the latest news and features. The Eagle is a production of the Times Union. It's produced and edited by me, Jessica Marshall, with help from the Times Union digital team and the newsroom. Special thanks this week to Casey Seiler, Masara Makati, and James Allen for their contribution to this episode.